What's going on, Skytown? Welcome to another edition of the Skyhook Podcast. My name is James K. With me on the mic, as always, is your co-host, Chris Pennant. Chris, how are we doing today, man? We had uh, quite a hectic weekend from the sky. Um, it was a hectic weekend for me in general. <laughs> so it, I, the sky games were just icing on the cake uh, <laughs> for them to pull out the two wins that they did and very close uh, pretty fun ball games, really solid. But outside of that, I want to give a shout out to Woodstock, Illinois, for a really, really, really good Pride Festival that I was at yesterday on Sunday, and also to uh, Courtney Olson that runs Girl Clothing, helped, and Jennifer Thomas who helped put on a really dope event on Friday. So a lot of things that were going on, but the Sky Games were still very present in my mind. Absolutely, and. We guess we should say it too. Happy Pride Month, everybody. We really haven't talked about that since we last were on the podcast. So happy Pride Month to all those who support the movement. I hope you support the movement if you are listening to this show. If you're not, um, I guess I should be more politic about this. Um, fuck <laughs> off if you don't support it. Um, but let's get into what happened this past weekend because... <laughs> Oh my God. It was just insanity, man. The, I think the sky only outscored their opponents by four points over the last three games because of how close six. these games oh. were. Well, no, yeah. They had the two wins that was plus, there were plus six. And then they had, they had the loss before that. Right. Yeah. I think it would be four then, but you know what? We're going to move forward with it. You, you guys uh, can fact check us in the Twitter comments when we post this, but so yeah, the sky went two and one in the most recent road trip. Just a quick recap, the Sky lost 84 to 82 to the Mystics on June 8th before heading to Connecticut on June 10th. Rebecca Gardner had a late steal in the waning seconds of that game, and she hit a free throw, and Candace Parker hit four before that to give the Sky an 83-79 win. And of course, yesterday, I mean, the Sky went into New York and beat the Liberty on a game-winning three by Courtney Vandersloot with 0.9 seconds left on the clock. She also tipped an inbound pass that stop the Liberty from even being able to get off a last second attempt there. So I thought that was actually another pretty important part of this game. Um, but yeah, in those last three games, I wrote down that the sky outscored their opponents by four points, but Chris, just really close games here at the end and the sky keeping it close, which we've been accustomed to over the last couple of years. Um, <laughs> but let's dive into it, man. I mean, did you think like these last two wins, especially were statement wins by the sky because it kind of felt that way afterwards. There's something to that. Connecticut was obviously shorthanded. They only uh, ran seven players out on the floor, so they had to work with the rotation that they had. And yet they were still up nine about midway through the third quarter, so the sky had to come back there. And then on Sunday against the Liberty, uh, New York made a run spurred by Sabrina Ionescu and a really good play both from Hanshu and Stephanie Dolson. They, they had pretty good all-around play, uh, the Liberty. And so the Sky were down by six at the start of the fourth quarter and ended up coming back to win that one. So I don't know if it's a statement when it's more so as a reinforcement of the fact that they are the champions. They are the reigning, defending, undisputed champions. That's a wrestling reference for any of y'all who, who watched <laughs> WWE. Uh, honestly, there's, there's this great, great book by David Halberstam uh, called Breaks of the Game, talking about the Trailblazers after like there's winning season in 77 and then after Bill Walton got injured in 78 and there's a passage that he talks about 
that's the difference between that Walton season and the season after. And it was focusing on that season after they started out the season 50 and 10. And there was a game, I think they were down in the third quarter or the fourth quarter. And they came back and they, they just, the team felt that there was a surge, there was a gear that they got that they could get to at any time, just kind of unlocking them like a cheat code. And after the game, Lloyd Neal was in the locker room and just kind of screamed out, that's why we're the fucking champs. <laughs> and it, I, I want to, I, I don't think I'll be able to make the June 17th game, but that would definitely be a question I would have for, really I want to, I would have, want to ask Courtney Vanderson because even with new players on the team, it seems like the sky are kind of indomitable at the end of games, whether they're down, whether they're up. Uh, we're not saying that they're saying things that we saw at the beginning of the season, even if we haven't seen them win games going away. They always seem to be able to find that extra step and really pick things up to where they can fluster the other team or just they're, they're hitting shots. The sequence that they had against New York very late where they picked up um, Azare Stevens, didn't get a rebound, but trapped Sabrina Ionescu in the corner, uh, forced a, a short outlet to Sammy Whitcomb, and then Emma Mieseman was trying to intercept that pass. This was late in the game. This was with mm -hmm. three-plus minutes left. So they'd already been playing for a majority, you know, 20-some-odd minutes, 30-some-odd minutes. And Z isn't 100% as we've seen. So for them to be able to make those plays, this guy ended up getting a bucket at the end of it to cut in what could have been a five-point lead to two. They're, that's why they're the fucking champs. <laughs> it does feel like whenever they need to turn it on, they're able to, like you just said. And we've seen that in the fourth quarter, especially with Courtney Vandersloot. I think that in clutch games this year with players that have played at least two games in those moments that Courtney Vandersloot is third in the league in clutch points per game. And this guy who played 10 clutch games. So she's been incredible at the end of these contests and they just find a way to put it together. I don't know how else to put it. Just they're, it just feels like what we've seen in the past where this team just builds off. They just get a little bit of momentum and just find that spark in the fourth quarter. And Honestly, I've been just super impressed by this team just not being overwhelmed by the moment. It does feel like we're watching a reigning champion every single night where it's like we know what we need to do to be successful and just got to continue to build the same things that they were building off last season, even with a different team. And one person that we have to talk about, actually, before we move on to that, I think that the way that you phrased that about this not being like a statement win or these the, these being statement wins, but more being like a reinforcement of what we kind of already know about this guy. I think that's a really important observation too, because I think that's just a more, I don't know, that's a better way of phrasing that than just saying a statement win because the New York Liberty were hot heading into this game. They were four and one in their last five games and Connecticut can, I mean, they're picking up right where they left off, even without Jasmine Thomas and, actually even getting more minutes from DJ A. Carrington this season than, you know, she was kind of a, someone that didn't play a ton last season. And, you know, with that short rotation, they were kind of exposed a little bit from by this guy who can go 11 deep now, now that Julie Olivon's back. So, um, uh, yeah, I really like the way that you phrased that. But we got to talk about Emma Mieseman, man, because to me, the last two games, I think she's been the best player on the sky. And that's, I never thought I'd say that on a team with Courtney Vandersloot 
and Candace Parker on it, but that's what she's been. She's been someone that looks like a completely different offensive player than what we saw in the first couple games of the season and has really blossomed. Most definitely, man. She has been outspoken in the way that she's in the offense, um, whether that is uh, being at the high post offense, you know, initiating from there, or whether she's getting the ball on the low block. Uh, her fadeaway is untouchable right yeah. now. And that's just like, I mean, it's her natural shot almost just to get away from the defense and clear space, which is so funny for a 6'4 player with such a long wingspan. But she's able to get that fadeaway off from just about anywhere. And it's, it's pretty much cash right now, um, no matter who's guarding her. Yeah, Emma, I, I said before the season, talking to you, talking to Drew Stevens at War Media when he asked me, I thought Cobb was going to be the MVP candidate on the team. And the only thing really holding her back would be um, the fact that this guy has so many weapons that they could go to on a given night. And it's still early going in the season. And But we talked about Emma finding her place in the offense. And Courtney and Emma both agreed with that, you know, finding that one press conference saying that it was different than playing in Europe, playing in Russia together, the way that uh, defenses were playing against her, playing against the team as, as a whole. And now Emma really just to have found that spark the, these last two games. And again, Connecticut was running a short bench. But even so, that's still a very difficult team to play against and put in 26 points when you're going up against John Quill Jones, Bree Jones, and Alyssa Thomas. She's just been incredible on both ends. And I think we were talking about her more as a defensive player of the year candidate just because, I mean, if you look at these first few games, it's like, yeah, she had – I mean, she's had a couple like in the middle of this, like the middle of the season for this stretch, I should say, just like seven attempts, five attempts, nine attempts, eight attempts from the field. And now the last two games, we've seen two 14 shot attempt games where she's just been the most dominant player on the court and like for the sky. And honestly, probably the court too, like Sabrina Inescu, I mean, what she was able to do yesterday, especially in that fourth quarter, being just hounded by Rebecca Gardner in those last few minutes. And just the way that she really controlled the game, the way that she just really didn't wasn't able to do when she played the sky, when the Liberty played the sky at the beginning of the season. But Emma just felt in control the entire time. And that's the thing that I love about her is that she just never stops moving. She knows where she wants to be. She knows where her teammates want her to be. And I just felt that more in the last three games than I had before that, honestly. And that's not a knock on her. It's just they had to figure out how to play together a little bit more. And the rotation's a little bit more set than it, what it was. Because like James Way said about Sandy Rondello yesterday, like Sandy had, like at the beginning of the season when the Liberty were really struggling, Sandy didn't really have that familiarity with her roster because she was a new coach. She had a scouting report, but she didn't really know like what she was really dealing with until she was able to get her hands on the entire situation and mold that situation to what she wanted it to be. And I don't think it's to the same extent with James Wade, just because he has like a few players on this team that he's gone to battle with already, especially the last two seasons. But this is a different team than it was last year. And they're really get they're really relying on like their post touches. They're not really going, they're not really shooting a ton from beyond the arc. I was actually wasn't even going to bring this up on the podcast, but James Wade said after the mystics game, like I brought up 
the, how the shooting was were continuing. And he interrupted me and said, we're not a three point shooting team anymore. Like, or we're not a three point shooting team. We are like, I think he said like that we're leading the league in field goal percentage. We're getting the free throw line. Like I wish you guys would stop talking about our free throw woes because or shooting woes because because of those things and I thought that was interesting because I mean if you look at the stats over the last three years like this guy have been a three-point shooting team they have been in the top six in three-point attempts um you know in that span and um or even the last three seasons respectively they've been in the top six so for them to not be as reliant on that on a team that has a lot of capable three-point shooters I mean this is a different team and I think that can be attributed to what how dominant Emma Beesman has been so far. Yeah, I mean, when you have Emma, when you have Candice, who, um, by the way, is, is shooting it probably the best on the team from three, other than I think Dana Evans at the last time we talked. When you have those players, and when you have players who can also get in the lane and get their shots off, you know, Courtney is not exclusively a three-point shooter. She gets a good amount of her points uh, at the rim or, or going towards the paint. Um, Allie Quigney, just because she had been struggling, was getting more um, shots inside the arc. So when you have those players, as well as Azrae Stevens, you're going to get more shots inside the arc. You're also ideally going to get more offensive rebounds. And this guy haven't been, you know, as this guy haven't been like top, top five in the league right now. They're showing seventh in offensive rebounds per game on basketball reference. But it's more than they would normally have gotten previously. So they're just reorienting their offense to try and get things going towards the rim or get the ball into the post. And then when they can really pick things up and speed up the pace and defenses collapse, like we saw against New York, both on the last play and in plays in the second half, that's when they're going to find open looks for the four players out on the arc. We, talked, we haven't talked about that last play for Courtney Vandersloot which was beautiful basketball, but that, and there was a play in the fourth quarter where Kalia Copper got an open three from the corner. That was a product of Chicago's ability to score inside the arc that forced New York's defense to both collapse and ball watch a bit. And so when they got the run down the baseline, everybody came in. I think Sabrina was guarding Ka. No, Maureen Johannes was guarding Ka, and she came down just enough and was kind of caught in between going the wrong way, and that got the open look for, for a three. So it's still really good. If they shot for, they shot plus 50% from the arc on Sunday, I think it was six for 14, or sorry, just, just under 50%. Yeah, they shot a little bit better than they had in previous games for sure. And so it, it's – there's still going to be some of that, but if they can get those kind of shots, uh, quality shots, hit as many twos as they have been hitting and increase their free throw attempts a, a little bit more while keeping other opponents off, the, basically what they're doing is the defense is so good that they're not, in, not allowing as many foul shots. So that really right now is what's evening out. They're, they're shooting very well and keeping the easy looks from their opponents from materializing absolutely and the thing is i think this is more of a the three-point shooting is more of a ceiling raiser than it is a floor raiser for them right now which i think is really interesting they're not making their uncontested jump shots right now like synergy all those numbers i mean they jump out to you you wouldn't think that the sky would be 
a top three team, just looking at those stats alone, they are a bad jump shot shooting team right now, statistically. All right. Just saying statistically. And I heard you. (laughs) I know why you said that. And when you look at how these teams are defending the sky right now, I mean, let's take that last possession for a second with where Emma Meeson passes it out to like Candace and then Candace passes it to Courtney for the game winning shot. Steph Dolson collapsed on Emma by double teaming her, which makes sense because Emma Mieseman has been the best post player we've seen in the league this year, statistically. And I think I test also serves that right. So Steph goes to double Emma, the ball goes to Candace and the, the ball gets to Courtney. Steph is late on the rotation to go to meet Courtney on the wing and Courtney gets an open shot and, you know, it's the game. And again, that's more of a ceiling raiser type play where it's like, okay, we need, I mean, this guy could have gone for a two point play there, but they had the wide open opportunity. As long as they start making those wide open opportunities, the uncontested shots that they have been missing. I think this team could even be better than it has already shown this year. And we're talking about a third place team and a team that had a lot of games could really come down to the wire where they, if it wasn't even for some officiating or if it wasn't just for like not turning the ball over, which they've actually been pretty good about this year. We're talking about a different team. I don't even like giving that excuse just because you can always point to one thing or the other for a team winning or losing a game. But since this guy played in so many close games, it's just been one of the things that's been on my radar, I should say. Yeah. And you're totally right. They had the game against LA. They had even this recent game against Washington came right down to the wire and the sky uh, were coming back in that game. So we've had three comebacks, um, two of which came to fruition and one of which didn't. And, you know, that's a lot of credit to Washington for playing the way that they played. But I think that, I think that you're right. I think they can, I think they can shoot better from three. We've seen them shoot better from three. Like you said, they're not making open jump shots. And so maybe over this next month or so, maybe teams try and take away the three rather than the two. It's really hard to say that when you have, again, Candice and Emma, who are great shot makers from inside the restricted area. But teams are going to have to pick their poison now. And the Sky are still shooting at it. Their, their three-point percentage as of late has really improved. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I know it's much better than when they started the season. The one thing that I have seen, and I don't want to diverge, is that their bench production has dropped just a touch. And some of that is, again, I think what James Wade said is like you you teach something on Monday, somebody new comes into camp Tuesday, then you have to teach the same lesson again on Wednesday. So they've really had to get Lee up to speed, Julie up to speed, um, even going back, Rebecca up to speed, as they've tinkered and, and kind of torqued this rotation. Now things are fairly set in terms of the personnel who's going to be in camp, if not who is going to play each and every game. So all the playbook, all the lessons, all of the things that they're working off of, now you have your complete team here. And so it's just going to be a matter of defining, redefining roles, cementing roles, and then integrating everybody into the offense as the weeks go by. I don't want to harp on it too much, but I do think the bench production might've gone down slightly just because the sky starters have been just been playing more minutes over the last couple of games than what they were before. Like Courtney Vandersloot had a couple low 20 minute games earlier on. And now we see her play a little bit 
more than she was at the beginning of the season. I think they're still managing that right foot injury. Could fool me, man. She looks fucking great out there right now, um, <laughs> especially after yesterday. I mean, just incredible. But one of the things I want to talk about before we move on to how Julie Alman and Lee Yaru, um, or I think it's Lee Yaru, the pronunciation guide, I, I still, even though it's spelled phonetically, I still can't quite wrap my mind around the pronunciation of that. But so before we get to those two, and talking about how they impact the rotation. I do want to talk about the officiating in that New York Liberty game for a second, because <laughs> I think it's actually been a league wide problem this year. And that's the only reason why I'm bringing it up. It's not even like a sky problem. I always find that when people complain about the officiating for one side, that it's just like, I don't, I don't think you're looking at the game closely enough necessarily. If you think this is just a problem for one team, but this has been a league wide problem this year. And it has in the past, of course, but it's just been more glaring to me in terms of the stars in this league where I look at someone like Diana Taurasi, who just seems to, when you watch some of her games, there obviously she gets some superstar calls, but there are times where she's just taking a lot of contact and not getting calls. I see that with Candace Parker. We saw that at the end of the Washington game. She got, I mean, she clearly got hacked and, even if that one wasn't even as bad as the one the play before with Rebecca Gardner fouling Natasha cloud. And that was just like a, just a terrible call at the end of the game. You just can't call that within the last two minutes of a game. It just seems like even Ali Quigley for, I mean, not to just name sky players, but like Ali Quigley, I then this is something I've been watching for anytime I watch a live WNBA game takes the most contact off the ball, trying to run through like, I don't know if someone like if someone in the front court sets a cross screen for her on the baseline. I mean, we'll, I literally saw Leilani Mitchell, like put her arms through Ali Quigley uh, to stop her from like being able to peel around to get to the perimeter. I mean, I think this is a league wide problem. I look at Asia Wilson, who normally gets a lot of calls. She hasn't been getting them as, as much as from the games that I've seen. I think that this is really hurting the product and it really happened again yesterday with the end of the game where the Liberty are up by what? I think they're up by one point. Ellie Quigley takes a step back three with under 20 seconds left. Kalia Copper gets an offensive rebound, goes to put the ball back up, and Natasha Cloud clearly hits her. So that we're talking about it right underneath the rim. The baseline official is right there, less than five feet away from the play. And it's a no call somehow like this continues to happen, man. And this is not just the sky. I promise this is not just the sky. I watch every single WNBA team and I'm just bringing this up because it happened yesterday. And even as Ray Stevens said, um, what was it? Our game was quite literally terrible for both teams in terms of the officiating. And it was terrible. Like there was some things with Sabrina where I'm like, I have no idea how she's not getting the call there. This just ha- the the players deserve better than this, and maybe this is just coming off from last game, but it's been something where I'm like, how are we still in this at this stage where players and this is a safety issue by the way, where players can absorb all this contact and teams can progressively towards the end of games can just get away with it, and these officials are not calling anything. It's just been wild to me this year. 
I, I know the play that you're talking about on that that last offensive rebound, and I, I watched that back as best I could um, live on Prime, and I I was maybe maybe on that. Emma Mieseman was very demonstrative, looking for a foul to be called there. I thought what happened was that Ka got bumped, and as she went up, she had to fade back, and I I thought Natasha got I thought Natasha Howard got that clean. Over the scope of the game, as I was watching. There were a lot of offensive fouls called, and um, as 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 I put in my my graph, my my sorry, my spreadsheet from 2019 after the Astudu technical that Kevin Fahey called in that game against Washington. When he's on the floor, there's a lot of offensive fouls called. I I want to look and see what Roy Golbian's stats are in terms of that as well. Because he was on the crew yesterday, he's been working with w, with, as a W referee for a long time. But I think that there's something to be said about games where there's a lot of charges called, a lot of stoppages in play. Um, even there, there were a few travels called that seemed like maybe, maybe not. Um, if somebody calls a carry, that's probably when you're looking like they might be blowing the whistle a little bit too much because that's just basketball now. We're calling and carrying in 2022. There was the, there was the carry yesterday. I'm just saying when that happens, that's when you really look askance at what's going on. But I know that particular play that you're talking about, like I said, I thought that one was clean, but there was a lot of stoppage in play during the game that seemed questionable to me. And I know this is put in, this is, uh, put in greater scope or uh, greater proportion because of the technicals that were in other games yesterday. Enrique Ogumbawale got ejected. Um, Asia Wilson fouled out of a game last week and Matt Ellentuck just ran through video, video, video on all the calls. And uh, Stephen Gardner at War Media, he agreed with me. There was like probably three fouls out of those six that were legitimate. That being said, we've talked about this last year about the same time. And I think the year before that and the year before that about the same time. And uh, Asia Wilson's name came up, I remember, at one point because she was getting fewer free throws and after that, I think things changed. Now, I don't think that that's a discussion that we need to be having every single season about the middle of the summer because we don't want the product to just be, well, we're going to do this until people complain and then we're going to change with the complaints. You're right. It needs to be consistent. Consistency, sorry. There needs to be consistency throughout the officiating. I personally think that there is only so much you can do in terms of, giving fouls at the end of a game. So if it's egregious, you call it, but you have to maintain some sort of consistency. So if you're calling hits on the elbow as fouls at the beginning, you've got to call it at the end. If you're letting them dog each other, then you put your whistle in your pocket, but it has to be consistent. I'm all for that. Set the tone early on in the game and play like that and call the game like that for the rest of the 39 minutes and 59 seconds. I'm all for that. I am completely all for that. I even, I like physicality in basketball. That's I like that. There's just that the WNBA isn't just like a free throw fest, like some NBA games. And the problem though I have is that like, I think the WNBA has a problem with makeup calls where a, like an official will see that they got something wrong. And then immediately the makeup call is placed. I hate makeup calls personally, but I understand that some, when you like, there are times in which you are going to do that on the next possession. It is what it is. It's like the unwritten basketball code. The amount of like makeup calls yesterday, 
I was just blown away by man. It just seemed like this. And I, I don't even want to target Kevin Fahey because I do. I actually think it's become unfair, like how much we target him. Even yesterday, I felt stupid about a tweet where I was like, oh God, it was Kevin Fahey who called the baseline foul or didn't call the baseline foul. Um, and I'm being serious. Like, I don't want to target that person because I do think this goes so much more beyond just him. The WNBA has G League officials for not every single one is a G League official, but the, they're in a professional amount, basketball yeah. league. You are not giving them grade A officiating like officials. Like, I don't know. Like, people have been doing it for a while, but like Kevin Fahey, at least at once upon a time, was a G League official. And this can't be the, like the WNBA can't be the test dummy for some of these officials that are trying to get to the next, like try to get to the NBA. That part will always bother me. And when, again, I don't even mean to just keep beating the drum over and over again when it comes to officiating this time of year. Like we, like, and I think you're right that when you under your assessment of saying that's when we talk about this in the middle of the season, but like it just, it, it persists. This problem has persisted since at least we've started this podcast and it ruins the product. And again, it's a safety issue, man. It is a safety issue when you like people are getting like are able to get away with certain things at the end of games. This is not exclusive to the sky. The sky actually, I feel like the officiating for this guy outside of a couple of like things at the end of games actually hasn't been that bad. Um, you know, it's just superstars in general it's the opposite effect in the WNBA than it is in the NBA where they don't get as many calls as other players do. It's just so bizarre to me that that's the dynamic. And I just think the players deserve better in terms of having groomed officiating rather than just rookies who are just trying to piece it all together. And that should be part of the next, um, the next labor agreement, um, whether it's between the players. I don't know if that comes under the player's scope at all. I, I would doubt it, but. You're right. There should be a pool of officials who um, primarily, primarily officiate WNBA games. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think you could, you could have some players, who, some officials who run double duty. I don't see why not. The game is shorter, but it's still a professional. It's still the top level professional league in the world. So why not have officials who play who who work in the NBA or the WNBA? My only. My thought would be, I guess, if they're working nine months out of the year, then they have those other three months of the year off. But I think that you could still do that for for officials who there's, there's there has to be something where you have a pool of officials who primarily work these, and then I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you can do with with a short season. That's the toughest part. You have a 36 game schedule, and so that's not going to be a year's salary worth of of work. I just want to talk with more people within the league about it because I'm sure there is something more that's going on that we don't know about too. Like I don't pretend to know every single thing about this area of the game and how the officials are hired and how they, and how their performance is judged. I'm just speaking as someone who watches, who's been watching this league now for a few years now. And I look at the landscape of the league and one of the things, the biggest problems I have with it is the officiating and I just think, again, I just think the, the league needs to fix this in some way and the fans and players deserve better. But what's, this is too much officiating talk. Let's talk a little bit more about um, these rotations with the sky because a lot of people have been asking this, you know. Now Julie Aleman 
is back with this guy, which means they have all 11 players on their roster that they're moving forward with unless there's an injury that comes up. Chris, how do you feel like Julie coming in impacts the rotation now that, I mean, she played seven minutes in that first game in Connecticut where she literally like came into Connecticut that day and then still played. Um, and then she played 11 minutes yesterday. Dana Evans played two minutes. Uh, Lee Yaru played six minutes and Ruthie had a DNP. I think that just speaks more to the depth right now of this team, but how do you feel like those two, I don't know, like uh, most recent arrivals impact this guy's rotation? Uh, Julie, I think is going to get a good amount of, of run coming in now just to get her up to speed. Um, and that's nothing, that's nothing against the play of Dana Evans. We saw it last year and we've seen it really take the big step forward this year. And I think that she she is okay with it as, as a professional basketball player can be, just knowing, trusting in what the team is trying to do. Uh, with Lee, I think it's going to be a bit less so just because they're trying to get her really immersed into this world of professional basketball at the top level again. And, you know, she's taking her lumps, but she's making some good solid plays. Uh, I hope that she was able to, to learn on the fly, watching Han Shu play in that Liberty game and being on the floor with Han, both because they played on the same team with China and because Han is having such a breakout season with New York, because that's a very similar player with a similar skill set. And so she can really take a lot of that away. Uh, but I, I think we're going to see less Ruthie time. I just do. That's what we always get, man. I, Really, a lot of me wants to to see what they could get if they can get Ruthie to a team where she'll have more run, have more opportunity to play, because she's a very skilled player who's just in a log jam, just cons- very consistently in a long jam. Um, even when Cheyenne Parker and Stu Du were here, they were ahead on the depth chart, and now you have Candice, Emma, Z. That's really not a lot of room, and you can rotate three bigs in over a forty-minute game. Uh, to get extra time, and now Lee Yuru's on the on the road, on the roster as well. So there will be some games for sure where Ruthie is a better option for rebounding, for being that safety valve, for being as shorthanded as she is on um, getting her shot in the lane. But I think that she's going to sacrifice. I think that Dana and Julie might split time more so, uh, just because they they offer a very similar style of play. Like fast pace, get the ball up the floor. Uh, they're good, reliable shooters. So you might see one game where Dana gets the majority of the minutes. You might see the one game where Julie gets the majority of the minutes. You might see a game like yesterday where one of them comes in as the as the substitute in the first half and one comes in in the second half. So I think that's really how things are going to shake out. More of a split for Dana and Julie. And then... Lee's going to get the bulk of the minutes and Ruthie's going to be kind of left hanging. I agree with all of that. And the more close games you play where you have to play your starters more, the less minutes there are going to be for your bench, right? I mean, Courtney played 30 minutes yesterday. Allie played 33 minutes. I look at the, like those two figures and I'm like, okay, well, Julie and Dana could theoretically play together in the backcourt. If this guy opened up one of these games and they're able to get some more run for Allie and salute. I don't like Courtney told me, like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to be playing 30, 32 minutes a game. You know, like it's just because she's still managing that injury, but more importantly, I mean, she's just 
aging more, you know, like she's someone that's played basketball consistently for what, 10 plus years now, 11 and a half months out of the year. So that's going to take a toll on you. And that's where Julie and Dana come in. Same thing with Ali, who is also increasingly looked great over the last couple of games. Um, she's probably not wanting to play 33 minutes a game, even though the sky are a different team with her, with how much she opens everything, everything up on the offense for everybody else. So I'm less concerned about Julie and Dana necessarily, because I do think there's going to be times when the sky are able to really get in sync. Hopefully like at the, the second quarter, they're able to like break things open a little bit more. And we're going to see what the potential of those two and Dana and Julie will look like. Cause I think that's actually kind of an interesting glimpse into the future of what next year could look like. Um, and I do think Julie is someone that could end up running away with the backup point guard minutes though, down the stretch. Like there was a real battle last year with Dana and Lexi where both would just have, I mean, Dana would have these highs and then she would have some of these lows where then they want the stabilizer and Lexi who doesn't have a a huge ceiling, but again, can just adequately run the offense and play some good defense. And I'm curious how, someone like Julie Alamon, who is one of the best players in the world is going to um, just be that consistent force in the backcourt behind Courtney and Allie, because she hasn't practiced with this team yet. You know, she's had the playbook for a while. Um, She she received it, the whole thing on media day. So she's had some time to look it over, but that's different than being able to go through the motions at practice in Deerfield and being able to figure out how everyone works within the offense. So I don't think that it's actually going to be a problem in this team. I mean, Dana Evans, who played two minutes yesterday, was so fired up after Courtney hit that three. You know, like this team is really bought in. And anytime I ask them about it, like, hey, is a minute something you're even thinking about? How does your role change? And Azrae's like, no, I came off the bench at UConn. I know how to play on the bench or be like a bench player. Dana has also just kept that mentality of just like, I know like when my time – comes that I'm like, I'm going to be ready. And I don't think anybody else should be really thinking about that. I mean, thinking about taking over one of those starting spots or being able to play significant minutes just because, I mean, this is the starting group is just unbelievable right now. So I don't really think that this is a predicament by any means, which I think I've seen some people on Twitter be like, how is this all going to work? And I had that question myself, but I'm like, Oh, wait a second. Like this team knows how to sacrifice and, they all just seem so bought in. Yeah, they totally are. I mean, we, we've seen it all the whole time. This is one of those good problems that yeah. the Sky has uh, right now, really. They have capable players at, uh, up and down the roster at every single position, which is not something that we were saying at the beginning of the season, right? We were still looking at who was going to back up Ka, you know, how much was Courtney going to play, how much time was Dan Evans going to get this year. And this guy had, they were going to have to wait like so many other teams are going to have to wait for everybody to come in, but they've got not everything settled, but they have so many good options. Um, Azare is not, like I said, not at hundred percent right now, even though she had nine points yesterday on four of eight shooting. She, I think had some limited minutes. Um, she had limited minutes in the last home game. And so that's when you have Lee come off the bench. That's when you can play Ruthie to pick up that slack. So there's, there's so much depth that they have that other teams just don't have the luxury of. And that, 
I know we've said this before, but why not? We'll say it again. They, they have that luxury and it's, it's a boon. It's a boon to them. I, I am interested. I'm surprised that you think that Julie's going to get most of those point guard minutes just because of how David Dana's played. So I want I definitely want to keep a watch out for that, especially as mm-hmm. we're going on the second half of this uh, six game in or six game road trip. I'm the six game road trip kind of split by a home game, you know, but I want to see how that shakes out against Indiana, especially against Las Vegas. Um, yeah. To see who gets that time. That has nothing, like me saying that has nothing to do with Dana as a player this year either. Like she's someone that has done such a great job. I do think that if you're Julie Alamon, you didn't come here to play two minutes a game, right? You didn't make your WNBA return to not get at least some consistent minutes. It's probably the same thing with Lee too. Um, I don't think either of them are saying that, but I do probably think they that James Wade discussed what their role would look like before they made that commitment to come from their countries over to this one for four months. So it's just something that I, that's one element that I'm thinking about. Again, people, I'm not, this is not any Dana Evans slander coming from my end here. Just that I just, I, this is just where my head's at right now. Maybe that'll change tomorrow, but that's just, um, <laughs> that's kind of like just watching yesterday's game back. Just like, okay that this is just like where this team is at. And just to speak to the depth one more time, like Candace didn't even play that much towards the end of the game there. Like she was there at the final, like she had the assist at the end of the game, but she didn't have that much time on the floor necessarily because Azaree Stevens and Emma Miesemann were so good. That's just like where this team's at, where they, the hot hand is just going to be in the lineup. And it doesn't matter if you're Courtney Vandersloot or if you are, Dana Evans or Ruthie Hebert, you know, it's just, that's where this team's at. And I think when you can bench someone, not even bench, but not play someone like Candace Parker towards the end of a game and she accepts the role, she's excited for her teammates. And like, again, doesn't like put up the stat line that's going to stick out to you. I just think that sends the message to the rest of the team about like where about, I don't know, just about like, okay, we're all in this to win the championship right now. And that is look I've covered teams where that has not been the case. I've been to a high school team, like a practice in their first practice of the season in my notebook. I wrote down this team is not going to do that well this year based on how bad the chemistry problems were. Um, and guess what? They went from being a state contender to losing in the first round of the state playoffs. So um, I mean, it's just like the chemistry is all there. I think sky fans just focus on that right now because the continuity is going to come over time and it already looks pretty fucking great right now. So yeah, you're seeing it coming. Um, Chris, we're running a little bit low on time now. Is there anything else that you want to touch on before we wrap things up? We got mail. That's what I want to touch on. I've been, I've been begging for mail for so long and we got, we got an email from a fan. Can I, can I take this one? Oh, of so course, man. Yeah. yeah. I was about to pull it up. So I'm glad that you did. <laughs> there said something. All right. So, uh, Thursday, we got an email from Michelle Scott. So thanks, Michelle, for reaching out to us. Uh, Michelle's a Sky fan from Toronto. T-Dot, we've got fans in Ontario. Yeah. Um, and I've uh, been listening to the pod since last season. Says they find our take on games fascinating, which is which is great. I never would have thought of fascinating as the first adjective to describe us. The one time someone's going to say that, man. It's great. So first and foremost... Um, 
League Pass, she, uh, Michelle's a WNBA League Pass subscriber who very rarely can watch a game in real time and tries to stay off social media until they can see the game on League Pass off the next day. So that's the first point. Everybody's been talking about it. This is just another example of it. Really need League Pass to be better. We need a better platform and better options for people to watch these games, not just having games split on different days, which is definitely something that needs to happen. But having more options to be able to watch these games on League Pass instead of having random games blacked out, things like that. So I wanted to say that first and foremost. Secondly, Michelle's also very excited, equally excited about the play of Rebecca Gardner and the evolution of Dana Evans. Me too, Michelle. <laughs> Rebecca Gardner has been awesome this year. I, I will stand for Dana Evans um, as long as she's in the league, just because of the type of player she is and she makes games exciting. All right, the questions. Do we know if Chance the Rapper ever got the sky tat he said he was going to win, if he said he was going to get if they won the chip? I did a little bit of research on this this morning, and I could not find anything substantial. Same. Looks like he got a win tattoo on his right forearm, but that really doesn't count to me. That, I, that That's not the same. That could be any win ever in Chicago, or Chicago history, so I don't really count that one. I didn't see it on his Instagram or anything, so no, I'm going to chalk yeah, that up to a no. Put it up. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Come on. Like that. I have, I lean 99% that he did not get it, but maybe someone who uh, has more information on that can tell us. But Chris, do you want to tell them about how you didn't fulfill your streaking obligation? All right. So Michelle asked if I, if I did go streaking, which I said I would do if the sky won the championship and I did not. Um, I litany of excuses from it's very cold. It's winter now to, I don't want to do this was probably the most prominent one, but it's hot now. So um, I'll do it. No, I don't know when I'll do it, but I'll do it because I can't welch on a bet. I have to do it before the season ends at the very least. So how about this? You'll I do prom- it if they win a championship. again. <laughs> no, no, I'm not making that bet ever again. I, I learned my lesson in doubting this team once and I don't need to, you know, fool me twice. Shame on me. <laughs> uh, that the last question I thought was very good. Well, the second to last question um, is media. Do you have any input whatsoever on which players speak at the post-game presser? Uh, no, as far as I know, we don't, right? No, no. Okay. Like, yeah, so, so yeah, like they'll sometimes ask us like, who do you want after the game? And I don't know. I feel like a lot of the time that probably doesn't like your request probably doesn't get the okay, which is fine. You know, I'm, I'm also in the mindset, like, I don't think players should have to talk with the, with the media after games, if they're like in a really bad place too, which it's so bizarre between old media and new media. Um, and I'm firmly in between both, honestly, when it comes to that. So yeah, no, we do not get to choose who speaks at the, like a post game press, uh, at the post-game pressers, but um, they do ask us at times. Yeah, I, I was like, nobody ever asked me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would have been like, Cheyenne Parker, can you get Cheyenne Parker here every game? It's like, we're going to get a good quote from Cheyenne Parker. It's for like the beat reporters that write game recaps that are like 30 minutes away from having to send something in. And it's like, okay, who did you write about during the game? And that's what makes these close games so maddening because it's like, uh, <laughs> I, dude, I had, this is not how you're supposed to do it. But last year, like I was just really trying to prove myself with during the finals and writing these game recaps for the Tribune. And 
I had two game recaps up. Like I was writing one and writing the other and like going back and forth. Cause I was just like, I want to make sure I get this done like the right way. And like, make sure that it's, they stick out more than what a one would sound like if I uh, was just keeping it more general for the win loss recap. But um, yeah, that's a little fun thing. We media people who write gamers or game recaps, they get like 30 minutes to write that after the post game press conference, maybe even less than that. But so this is one that I haven't really, I don't really keep track of like the whole Jersey thing. This is why I've been leading less on WNBA Twitter. I just don't go on it that much anymore, but um, do what was it like as Michelle asked, am I the only sky fan who thinks the rebel Jersey is an automatic L I know that Chris was emphatically stating that the Jersey had finally gotten off. My, my monitor is a little bit uh, blurry here. Oh, off the schneid. <laughs> off the schneid, yeah. Off the schneid? It looks like two ends on my end. I was like, what's a second? <laughs> um, yeah, I was like, I don't know what that is. Um, but yeah, the Rebel jerseys, man. I mean, has that, uh, she said, like, I hope that the Rebel jersey would be, would have been a part of one of James Wade's off, uh, off-season roster moves as getting rid of it. I like that. Amazing, Michelle. Love that. Love that. Um but yeah, I, I still haven't kept track of this Rebel Jersey record. Thing the Rebel at all. Jersey's 2 0 over the last two outings uh, after the win in New York yesterday. So I think the curse is broken. Okay. I think the curse is broken. And Sabrina Whitaker definitely agreed with you, um, Michelle. I think there were there were other people too <laughs> who were just not in favor of it because it seemed to be that they just would not get those W's. But I'm I'm pretty sure that it's all good. But you did have people out there who were thinking the same. I love that. I love that. Um, but really, Michelle, thank you so much for writing into the show. And, you know, if anybody else wants to, we will definitely answer your questions on anything that you send in that's appropriate. So, um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Chris, I know you, you got to get going because we're a little bit past our recording time period here. But, um, man, this was so great. And again, send us more mail because th- that's always fun to read those and share them with people on the podcast. So yeah. Please send us that mail and thank you all for tuning in. Um, you can, you can check me online on Twitter at quandary kitten. That's K W A N D A R Y kitten. Um, and on Instagram, and we'll start doing the one minute recaps again because people have been clamoring. Nobody's really been talking. <laughs> I, I want to get those out. I like doing it. So uh, on Twitter, on Instagram at Jake, T-W-O and the number five. That's Jake two five. You can find me on Twitter at James underscore M underscore K-A-Y. Thanks for tuning into this episode. And if you could help us out by rating and reviewing the show, wherever you get your podcast, that would be such a huge help for us. And again, if you want to reach out to us, please do so by emailing our mailbag, which is the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. You can also find it in the episode description along with our social media info. So yeah, if you want to find us on there, check it out the episode description. Thanks for tuning into this episode and until next time.